You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Hoop and Holler. I'm your host, Eddie Sun, joined by Julio Martinez and Reagan Griffin. On this episode, we'll talk about Mike D'Antoni joining the Brooklyn Nets coaching staff, as well as clutch the Clutch Sports Pro Day and controversy around that, as well as um, more schedule back and forth between the NBA and the Players Association. But first, in the spirit of Halloween, I wanted to throw this question out to both of you. Who do you guys think, if you played in the NBA, would be the scariest defender to face? Um, number one, uh, I don't want to say I'm scared of anyone. <laughs> that that's, and I know you guys are just using that word, you know, for the Halloween theme of it. But I'm not scared of anyone. But if I had to go with with you know the theme and everything. Uh, my mind straight. So I'll, I want to take you all through my mind, uh, through my mindset. So as a guy who handles the ball a lot, obviously it would probably be a defender who's an all or an on ball defender, not somebody like a Rudy Gobert or a Giannis maybe who, who, you know, their defense is made more at the rim. Um, so my mind went straight to Lou Dort just because, you know, his, his body is so strong and he's so stout and he can move with the best of them. You know, he can move quickly. He can move side to side laterally and just, he can do it all on ball, but I'm going to give that still to Anthony Davis, because although he he's more of a shot blocker than a traditional on ball defender, he defends the pick and roll. I mean, better than maybe any other big man that I've seen just because he can move so well and he may not be as, as fast or as quick as guards uh, um, that, that he plays against, but his recovery is insane because his reach is just like, you know, like any other, unlike any other. So, I mean, even if you get past him, create some space, he's going to block your shot. So although my mind went straight to Lou Dort, I'm going to give the edge to Anthony Davis. Julio, you took, I was going to say Lou Dort, but you kind of took mine, so I'll think of another one. The guys that I think are, you know, I I agree with you. It's like weird to say that you fear anyone. I don't think anyone in the NBA really fears anyone else. Um, But the most frustrating guys, right? The guys that you're like, you see them on the schedule, you see them warming up on the opposite end, it's like, shit, I got to play this guy all night. The ones that you don't want to see are the ones who are, tasked specifically with stopping you and when you think about Anthony Davis like that's obviously an all NBA level defender um but his job is to do a lot of different things out there and he exists primarily around the rim obviously if you get switched him to a guard he can hang but with the guys like Lou Dort the guys like 
Avery Bradley, the guys like um, who's I know I'm I'm, I'm not I, I know I'm taking it back, but Tony Allen was insane. Tony Allen's another one. The guys whose sole purpose for being on the court is to torment, torture, to frustrate, to stop you from getting what you want. He spent all week in film. He doesn't care about offense. He doesn't do shit with the ball in his hand. His only reason for being in that moment is to stop you. Those are the guys that I think strike the most fear. So I'm going to just go ahead and do it, man. I'm the I'm the unofficial president of the Lou Dort fan club. That guy showed me a lot. And the thing that really gets me about him is that he has the mobility and the strength, right? As a guy who tends to be either able to you know, use their length on somebody or somebody who's able to use, uh, you know, if you're my size, most of the time I'm faster than you um, or I'm stronger than you, right? If I can't get either of those advantages, it's going to make it really tough on me all day long. So Lou Dort, I, I think even though we've seen short stints from him in the playoffs, he's going to be a premier defender moving and, forward. So that's yeah, a guy who and, strikes fear. And I know we're only talking about defense, but if Bro doesn't come back with a shot, I'm going to be extremely frustrated with his development as a player because although you know guys have to expend energy on offense that's something you don't have to expend energy or much effort on catching shooting the ball so let's let's fix that for next season but yes i would agree that he's a great defender i mean it's a thunder he's never going to learn how to shoot but um (laughs) um i don't know i think for me the scariest defender if i were let's say on an nba team um would be the coach because i never see the floor Oh, I mean, Face. not quite. But um, so this is this is where we've talked about ugly theorem before, in that right, like players who kind of present themselves as like dogs, right? Like get all get all up in your grill, like play tough, get gets the love from all like the announcers. Um, while they might not be the most effective in terms of you know like how how good they are on defense, I think the the ugly theorem and like the scary part like kind of go hand in hand. So. For just for this, you know, thought exercise, I don't think, you know, a guy like Patrick Beverly, I bet a lot of players are probably scared of facing him, even if the that, Metrics That's more like way. annoying, though. And that that's the route I thought Reagan was going to take it other than Luke Dort, because when you look at the other side, when you're shooting around, you're like, I don't want to have to deal with this guy. It's, it's less fear, but it's more like frustration. That's true. I mean, I think in terms of fear, it probably has to be like a rim protector, a big dude who swats yeah. shots. Like, you know, you're afraid of challenging, you know, challenging him at the rim. You're afraid of going up for close shots. But um, I mean, that I guess that would have to be a guy like Gobert because he, he, like, his name he tangibly does that, right? Like on an NBA court, just kind of denies people from even trying him. But anyways, happy Halloween, people. Just in the spirit of Halloween, if there's no trick-or-treating, at least we can find other ways to think of scary things and whatnot. But let's get on to this Mike D'Antoni news that he's joining his former, what, his former mentee, Steve Nash, in Brooklyn. And, I mean, this is kind of interesting because he compiled a staff led by um, him and Amari Stoudemire, right? Um, and, I, and I think there's one other dude, I forget who. But now you have, like, Jacques Vaughn, that's right. And then now is you have... Guy? Yeah, they also have an assistant, a former assistant coach from the Spurs. Yeah, Ime Udoka, who who himself I think can be a, a good head coach candidate in a lot of places. But I mean, you add you add D'Antoni, who's you know been a head coach for what like so long now, right? I mean, I wonder is that kind of interesting with the dynamics? Like, does does anyone there, especially Steve Nash, have to worry about their job or or 
are we sure that like D'Antoni's not even pulling the strings behind the scene? Like that, that's kind of um, interesting. I, I, you definitely don't have to worry about Steve Nash's job and, and D'Antoni superseding him just because Kyrie and KD are there. They want Steve Nash there and they trust Steve Nash the most. And even though I'm not in the head of Kyrie and KD, I can say that for a fact that they, that they trust Steve Nash more than they trust Mike D'Antoni, whether it's because of track record. And I know there's a lag thereof on Steve Nash's side, but you know, Steve Nash was a player. His, you know, basketball IQ is insane. Um, but, but it's not just that it's, it's all, I mean, this whole thing was so fascinating to me because as I told you guys in the group chat, I heard these rumors about two weeks ago on ESPN and I just couldn't really fathom uh, Mike D'Antoni, you know, taking a step back and I don't know, just becoming a, not, not only an assistant coach after so many years of being a head coach, but becoming an assistant coach under a first time head coach who was his player, <laughs> you know, who never, you know, had head coaching experience. And coming out of that James Harden, you know, and, and dealing with Kobe and Mello, I wouldn't think that Mike D'Antoni would necessarily want to, I guess, quote unquote, deal with Kyrie and KD. But it's it's interesting, you know, as we've said before, they're compiling a lot of talent, whether it's on the court or knowledge, whether it's on the bench, on the sidelines. So it, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes about it. But um, I am surprised. I am surprised. I think it's one of those things to where at face value, and this is purely speculation on my part, but it almost feels like Dan Tony, you know, he's on the older end. He's been in the NBA for a long time. He just went through this really stressful ordeal with the Houston Rockets. He he's just along. He's, he's what? He's ring chasing. Is that what you're saying? I think he's along for the ride, man. I, I think at this point, he's like, obviously, he's going to provide insight as, you know, the lone guy on that bench with real elite head coaching experience. And I think he's willing to provide like a mentor sort of thing. But I feel like at this point in his career, he's like, you know what? This looks fun. You got a lot of talented players. You have some of my former guys. Um, this looks like a fun opportunity to go, you know, not be as stressed out for a season. But while uh, I get to see what the opportunities look like next year, I get to join some of my favorite guys around the league. I get to watch a lot of talent and I get to hopefully win a chip. Um, the only way I do see it going awry is if at some point during the season things aren't going the way you'd want them to, you know the first guy that they're pointing the finger at is going to be Steve Nash and that they need an experienced head coach and they need a leader. And the second that happens, you're just going to start looking at Dave Tony. Maybe he should be the coach. So if they have a stretch of like a, a month to a month and a half where things are going very sourly and you can tell tangibly on the court that you know a lack of experience at the head coaching position is the reason why, I could see that switch being made and I can see people starting to call for Dan Tony, but yeah. I don't see that coming just given the talent that the team has. I think Dan Tony's just here for, you know, he's here for the vibes, man. He's here for the vibes. I think he's I, I, I can totally time. see that him wanting to take a step back away from basketball, but still being involved with the game without all the burden on him. And, you know, him providing a backbone for Steve Nash, whether it's support, advice, or you know, et cetera. Exactly. Um, you know, his relationship must be so great and amazing with Steve Nash that he's willing to not only take a step back, but be there, you know, to guide him and, you know, head coaching experience and all of the sorts. So I just, you know, it, it's commendable in some ways. It, it is. I just kind of thought about it and it's kind of crazy that D'Antoni was just about to get that Sixers head coaching job before yeah. Doc Rivers got fired. And if you think about it, he would have been hired there 
And then if the Sixers do their whole process with Daryl Morey, like, it would have been the Morey-Dantoni, you know, pairing, but just in Philly. Well, I mean, it's kind of crazy because I do think that D'Antoni wanted to still coach. Um, I mean, he personally said that he wanted to finish out his career in Houston a couple more years and then retire. Um, so it seemed like he wanted to coach somewhere for a little bit and then retire. But I think all the um, job openings got filled up. And then D'Antoni was just kind of left with, I guess, pondering between does he just call it quits now or does he ride out the rest of his career um, where he wants to be. And I think Brooklyn's a, a good place if he chose, you know, the latter path. Um, and honestly, like, all, all I hope is that Kyrie should have his, like, best year ever. Because if you have, you know, one of the greatest point guards on the sidelines and then you have D'Antoni, the, the supposed point guard, you know, guru who gets the best out of all their points. I mean, Kyrie's got to have, like, a, a crazy year, right? I don't know. Is that how that works? I mean, that, that'd be crazy to watch. So, yeah, that, that'd be great. Anyways, um, let's move on to some news in the draft sphere. Um, most notably, Clutch obviously ran by Rich Paul, partnered with LeBron James. Um, they kind of did something that I don't think any agency has really done before, or at least not this publicly, host a whole pro day for their draft clients televised on, I think it was on ESPN, right? Um, so yeah, they had, they ESPN had, too. Yeah. yeah, so they had Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Maxey out there, and um, you had evaluators along with um, super high-profile names like LeBron and AD, and who else was there? Like Jordan Clarkson. Trey Young. Ben. Trey Young. Was Ben Simmons there? I don't think Ben Simmons. I don't know uh, Ben Simmons. The, shoot, the, the shooter from Gary Trent. Gary Trent. Yeah, you had uh, Tristan Gary Thompson. Baisley, Tristan Thompson. It, that's the thing that there. got me. It's like they pulled out their guys for this. Like They had no vested interest in being there other than supporting you know, mm-hmm. the guys that were actually participating in the workouts. Which was I mean, they even, cool. they even had a Quavo out there, which... I mean, <laughs> unnecessary, but I mean, outside of, you know, like, I mean, the, the draft prospects did their drills and whatever, you know, they, they, they got interviewed. I know Anthony Edwards said some, you know, interesting things, just probably didn't know what to say. But um, outside of that, there really wasn't anything notable, except we hear today that, you know, there, there's these other agents that are kind of unhappy or whatever, a little bit annoyed that like Clutch and Rich Paul are, are kind of, you know, doing doing so much of this kind of process in public when it's usually, you know, not this public. And I mean, really, obviously, I'll I'll let you guys talk about it, but it's kind of silly because this is now two weeks in a row where you have, quote unquote, anonymous agents that, you know, feel a type of way about how Rich Paul is doing things and, you know, how, you know, whatever, like, like whatever kind of undertones that kind of has. So it it, it sniffs of anti-blackness and no, it's not overt racism, obviously, but this is an industry that has generally been dominated by white middle-aged to old males you know a lot of times taking advantage of these young black athletes for the beginning of their careers and rich paul is flipping the game on its head and you know say what you will about clutch say what you will about you know how they kind of interfere with you know some of the basketball operations and how they kind of have a stronger influence over the league than we've seen in the years past um, you know, the the fact that it, it, it's black is what scares people or other agents. It's not the fact that you're, they're doing this um, this openly. It's the fact that you're this op- openly, I, I, authentically yeah. challenging the status quo. I, I also think the other problem that they're having with it is that although, you know, LeBron's agent is Rich Paul, I, I think another frustration on the agent's part is because you know, they see everything that's going on with athlete empowerment, whether it's, 
you know, speaking up for social justice, uh, being smarter with their money, creating like, you know, 35, what is it? 35 ventures yeah. in thing, or creating, you know, uh, uninterrupted, you know, a- athlete empowerment. And I think this stems from fear that at more and more athletes might maybe not go to the extent that Dimwitty said where he wants to repre- represent himself, but start to hire people, you know, within their own circle or people they know maybe, or maybe even take it to that extent where uh, Spencer Dinwiddie took it. So I think that that's another cause for their jealousy or reason for hating on this. But I really see, you know, when Eddie put that in the group chat, I mean, I, I didn't know about it. And I was frankly, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but it, it's just like, it threw me off guard. It's like, why, why, why do you guys care? It's just a, just like you guys say all the time, it's a business trying to build this business. What's wrong with doing something you guys haven't, if you guys want, if you guys think it, it, you know, it causes more exposure and all that, then do it yourselves. Do your CAA. uh, I I don't, I don't know the Wasserman, all these other company agencies, do it yourselves, do it for your own athletes. I I mean, why do you guys care? Why do you care? I, I think it, it stems from the fact that, uh, again, I think they they realize that they're losing a power that they held for a very long time. And the thing that Rich Paul, that gives him the advantage, and LeBron and Matt Carter and all those guys, um, the advantage that they have in, in relating or, 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 you know, building relationships with these athletes is that, you know, they come from a place to where they can speak on the same level and they can speak to some of the experiences that the athletes have had and, you know, both as black people, as people that, you know, may not have come from the best socioeconomic backgrounds, all of that, right? And it's a lot easier to sit across from the table and look at somebody that looks like me and say, I can trust you with my money. I can trust you with my brand. I can trust you with my future. And, you know, that's something that's, you know, entirely beyond some of these agents control, but, you know, something that's been taken advantage of in the past, um, you know, because of the nature of the way these things operate. Um, a lot of times, you know, white faces are, are, are taking advantage of black bodies. That's a, that's a theme that's ran true throughout the history of America. And to see black people kind of taking more power um, and consolidating that power amongst themselves, I think that's a scary thought for a lot of white people who are, are used to an industry that's dominated by white people behind the scenes making a lot of money off of black bodies. I mean, I will say this, though. I think if you are like CAA, if you are like Arntellum or, or Aaron Mintz or, you know, these these high profile agents that represent, you know, like some of the what you want to call them superstar agents or whatever. I bet that if they wanted to host a pro day for their, you know, prospective clients um, and they, you know, hit up like ESPN, I bet you like ESPN doesn't agree to it um i think i think there's a reason why right like clutch and rich paul along with you know the whole lebron you know partnership whatever you want to call it right it's like there's a reason why they can get on espn um and i think that's part of the reason why that maybe these agents are what was the reason well no it's it's that again i think one these agents have never tried to kind of expand the boundaries of what like agency and representation really means until they've seen rich paul and lebron and you know clutch do all this stuff like i bet you those agents never thought oh let's make these um 
kind of workouts, let's make these evaluations public, like let's make it a spectacle, right? And that and that's honestly something where I give a lot of props for Rich Paul for kind of doing that because that stuff is kind of exciting. I mean, they only had Anthony Edwards yeah. and, you know, Maxi this time, but like imagine, you know, if they represented more people, especially in like a talented draft class, like imagine if they had like Zion, like that yeah. would be, that would be and, big and, ticket and it, stuff. And it makes for mad creative content, right? I mean, just on any plat- on any given platform, whether it's Anthony Edwards saying he's D- he's a better D Wade, or you or know, he said he lived it, in a pandemic. It just it's creative. It, it's you know, people want to tune in, and if if ESPN wouldn't pick them up, I mean, that's too bad. I, I'm sorry, it's a business, right? It's a business. Mm. So. But I mean, I, I I do understand that part of it is like clutch is something like we've never seen before that you know that they understand what the power and the role of the media is then, better than the then other your agencies. obligation then to move forward is then to get clients like you know that have a pedigree like or close to lebron james and then leverage that their you know status and power and platform and then go to those networks and then you know build off other clients and i mean obviously it's all like very petty stuff like you know the whole hiding behind anonymity and talking about you know this and that like they don't respect or, or they, they feel like clutch has lost clients money or that they're they're just kind of a proxy for lebron to build you know his, his super teams or whatever and it's like is there so, maybe like a very minute grain of truth to a little bit of it like perhaps but also like i mean i think we do know oh, that where yeah. like, well, like of course lebron is trying to you know <laughs> uses these relationships to you know whether it's for his teams or for you know outside ventures, of course he's just like any any other person would. I mean, I mean, that's what I think the scariest thing for a lot of people was. I think what really struck fear into the hearts of a lot of agents is when you look at that picture and you see Maxi and Edwards in the center, and they're surrounded by Anthony Davis and LeBron and Trey Young traveled out and Jordan Clarkson and Gary Trent. And uh, who who else was out there? You had a, like a lot of really good players, right? And all of these guys clearly have a relationship that expands beyond just that they're attached to the same I mean, agent. I, they're willing to go out there and support, you know, the youngins that are coming up. That's the sort of stuff that's going to come into play come free agency, and that's the sort of stuff to where we're still looking at a, a, an agency that damn near holds more power than some of the, you know, if not all of the GMs in the league. They they can inf- uh, influence this league in a way that hasn't been done before that's a scary thought for some people but hell i'm here for it man let, let, let's let's get it bopping I'm, I'm interested i mean i bet caa is not pulling quavo to one of their events right no like, again because like, it's a cultural thing because like clutch understands right like connections with pop culture with the media with entertainment like all, all of the kind of different avenues yeah. where they can you know get outreach again I, I can potentially see and going back to my point i can potentially see these agents being kind of like uh uh like recording labels where artists want to become more independent and not follow the traditional label uh, or sign to the traditional label uh giving up you know all their you know copyrighted music and all that um and artists making their own label just like you know nip and j cole and and people like that so I, i can really see that in the future um and obviously clutch might be the springboard towards that so I mean, you never know. You never know. But you 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 just can't. You a you can't hate the creativity, and b you just can't hate the hustle. Exactly. That that's on them for creativity, bro. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like representation is something that because it, it's so behind the scenes, it's not it's not really TV material. People don't really talk about it, right? But like that stuff is really important. Like like I'm sure 
like obviously like it's not like I know anyone with firsthand experience but I'm sure that you know agency representation and like what what that kind of entails and then now with Clutch and maybe like even guys like Spencer Dinwiddie kind of rethinking like do we really need agents right like has that just been something we've been kind of accustomed to but now we realize that it's not necessary right that we have to take a whatever percentage of our paycheck out to pay these agents Man, and do it's that. a hefty percentage bro yeah, 10, i mean why not why not venture in, in, into that world and, and try to learn from for yourself I, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that you know generally we um we've seen black labor and then behind that black labor you've seen a lot of white people influencing things behind the scenes saying like well i know the industry i know people and and behind these closed doors i can get you here here there i think a lot of that fear stems from that's the space that white people were able to sit in and operate within and still have an influence on what goes on and to start seeing black faces infiltrate that space that's a scary thought because that you know that you're not going to be able to keep pace when you have black people that you know the the players can trust and that are willing to put faith in because you know you're not going to be able to keep up with a guy like rich paul and there's going to be more rich pauls coming in the future that's where these guys are getting scared that's why they're shaking in their boots is because they know their time is running very thin um having the power in the way that they do they can still have power i think in the future but they're definitely going to have to change the way they go about doing things and they're going to have to be a lot more um lenient i guess it might not be the right word but some you're gonna be a lot more giving and understanding of these athletes because you have dudes that are coming up that understand wholeheartedly the perspective that they're coming from more 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 power to the athletes more power to to the labor more i mean more power to allowing the athletes to really um really just kind of express their own like creativity or you know really build their own brands i think all of that's really cool um, but let, let, let's talk about the schedule. And I know we talked about this on, you know, just, just the episode a couple days ago. But it seems like this is really what is going on behind closed doors right now. Like the NBA and MBPA are probably going back and forth about this. Um, obviously, last time we talked about how the NBA proposed the 72-game schedule in, in December. And the players were like, hey, I don't know about that. You know, maybe we'll do mid-January. Now, kind of the NBA is countering with, well, if you do push it to January, we're only going to do 50 games. And, you know, obviously, if, if it gets knocked down to 50 games, you have to, you know, talk about, I know, Julio, you mentioned the 40% pay cut potentially, right? Like, there's all sorts of ramifications there. I mean, yeah, that's insane. Just looking at Steph Curry's salary, it would go from $43 million to $25 million. Spencer Dinwiddie's salary would go from 11.4 to 6.8. Carson Edwards' salary would go from one point five to nine hundred thousand dollars, and yes, that's way more than the average American. So nobody's crying for them. But after taxes, agent fees, and all the sorts, Carson Edwards is probably making that nine hundred thousand drops down to easily four hundred thousand, three seventy five. So the 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 ones that are going to be suffering the most, you know, Steph Curry will be fine with twenty five. You know, middle. Yeah, he's, but he's cool. But the the guys who are going to be suffering the most is the majority of the league. Not everybody's LeBron, Steph, KD, Kyrie. They they haven't gotten these massive you know contracts. And obviously, we all understand that even you know the the smaller you know intermediate contracts are still more than enough for the average person. But still, and you know, as a player. 
I guess putting myself in, in, you know, that same position, I just don't know how you can be okay with that. How can you be okay with, hell yeah, I'm starting in December. I don't care if my knee hurts, bro. I'm starting in December. And, and you know, for these teams that, uh, and we went, we hashed it out last episode, but I understand that the Lakers, the Nuggets, the, the you know, the Heat, they all went far. You, you guys don't represent the whole league, and that's coming from a Lakers fan. So, the last thing I want to do is start later, play 50 games, and have my salary cut in half? Are you kidding me? That, that's crazy to me. That's crazy. I, so, the, the, it's just like weird to me that you'd think that the guys who would want the 50-game schedule, you think the owners would be pushing for it, right? Like, you'd think the owners are like, well, I can't have fans. Um, fan attendance is the major part of my revenue. I won't be making money. Let's at least cut costs so I don't have to pay the players. Like, that's an owner thing to say. But it's not even the owners that are pushing for the 50-game season. It's that seemingly the NBA in tandem with the owners are like, let's start in December, let's start at Christmas. But then you have players, and we're not sure who, but right, the NBPA is pushing back with, well, let, let, let's go with January. And I think I saw this number. I think Bobby Marks put it out on Twitter but about like a quarter of the league hasn't played a game since March. So that's going to be nine months. 70% of the league won't have played a game since August. So that's four months. Um, and then you start talking about, right, like the draft picks who haven't played in college for like, a you know, even longer. So it's like that. That's like a huge chunk of the league that's really rested up and good to go. And it's like, again, like we talked about this already, but you just can't make a decision for the the 15% of the player body when the other 85% of the player body is like let let's go you know like let let's do this but again like it's tricky cuz we don't know what's going to happen we we know that usually some of the more high profile names a la like a LeBron James or a Chris Paul right like those figures tend to have the majority voice really in the in the players association but i i mean i hope I really hope they don't because this this should be an easy decision. The only thing that would kind of hinder it would be if a, you know certain voices are kind of protesting. Yeah, and, and to me, the last thing, the biggest thing is you, you have to be unified. And I know there's going to be disagreements, but you have to be unified. You can't have, you know, you can't speak out of the bo- both sides of your mouth. You can't complain and say, um, you know, we're starting too soon, blah, 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 blah. And then... You know, at the end of the year, oh, my salary, you guys, you, you guys need to pay me more. Man, you guys need to make the decision. And you, there's pros and cons on both sides. But all I'm saying is you probably should take the money. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that the salary cap stuff would be this egregious. I didn't realize that the salary cuts would be this egregious. But I know I was caping for a, kind of the late season last time because of the shortened off season. But, I mean, Eddie knows how, like, I am with money at times. Do not fuck with the bag. At all costs, don't fuck with the bag. And it seems like starting late would fuck with the bags of a lot of players in the NBA. So it ain't worth it if that's what it's coming to. Can't fuck with the bag. And, I mean, the truth is the only reason why the NBA is not saying we can start in January and go later and play 60, 70 games is that they don't want to go into the summer months with the Olympics with all of, like, you know, the, the summer sport events that happen. And I'm kind of surprised that the NBA basically said, well, if you want to do January, we're only going to do 50 games. It seems like that's their hardline way of saying it's like, well, if you want to make sacrifices, well, then you're going to have to make a sacrifice. And I think I think that's good on the NBA that they're not trying to, you know, toe lines and they're not trying to, 
you know, like Adam Silver is not trying to, you know, kind of carry a lot on his back or, or kind of, you know, kind of make a lot of these sacrifices and, and, you know, give a lot here and there for, for a certain few players. I mean, I, I think it's good. And like, I don't know. I feel like I've heard people, fans say that it's, it's not good if the season starts in December because you're going to see a lot of players not play, like load manage, whatever. A lot of them are going to be fatigued, but I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm buying that. You'll see LeBron and maybe Kawhi. And I mean, Kawhi doesn't even need to load man. He's exactly. Doing that he's and doing that. you'll see KD. Giannis is young. He'll play all the games. Luca will play all the games. CP3 may rest depending on where he goes. All these guys, they're going to play their games, especially if you, know, you have a lightened schedule uh, with more days in between games. So the, people st- need to stop worrying about that. Just, just like... I hear, oh, if basketball comes back too soon, uh, the, the product is going to be bad. Well, I, I mean, we heard about that in the bubble. Well, after all these months off, they're going to go into the playoffs. The product is going to be bad when, in fact, many of the games in the bubble were highly competitive and just great basketball. And, and you can't use the, you know, coming back too soon argument because, again, like Eddie said, the majority of the teams haven't played since, you know, a long time. So. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's just gonna be tricky. Where, like, I don't know. You talk about like attendance. Like, are there gonna be fans in stands? And I know, like, depending on state, like some states are allowing fans in stands and, and and whatever. But it's just like I don't know. I I feel like the players' association, in this in this case, you know, it's like it's the players' association, right? It's like they're they're supposed to be making decisions on the betterment of the player body and it's like i know we love talking about you know player empowerment you know we love talking about athletes and basketball players specifically nba players harnessing their value and and establishing their kind of agency but it's like well look you have a lot of athletes here you know looking to establish their agency it's like those mid-level lower level nba players matter as well right so i mean are we going to mess with their salary? Are we going to, you know, mess with what they want um, just for the sake of a few players? And and the truth is, again, we still don't know, like, what players it is. I'm going to need, like, Waj or Shams to do a report and, you know, do the whole, like, you know, what they did with the Kyrie thing where we figure out who actually is calling for what because I think that might actually clear, clear it up a lot more if we if we can figure out, like, well, what players want to push it back and what, what players want to start in December. And I feel like I'm kind of repeating what I said uh, in, in regard to the bubble because another argument for the bubble, uh, you know, coming back and establishing the bubble was that, you know, you're obviously, you know, watching out for the salaries of the guys who aren't LeBron, who aren't CP3, who aren't James Harden, uh, you know, all, all these superstars because, you know, their salaries, you said it, Eddie, their salaries are important too. They're the majority of the NBA. So let's not get, you know, carried away with, you know, the LeBrons and KDs of the world. Don't fuck with bags. I mean, I have nothing else to say on that. You know, I'm not like, you know, the most in tune with what's been going on behind the scenes in, in terms of what's been happening. But that principle holds true just about every circumstance known to man. Don't fuck with folks bags. That's that's never a good thing to do, especially when we're talking about again, like you mentioned, these guys they're still making a substantial amount of money. But when we think about things, 
you know, folks putting down payments on houses, folks having mortgages, folks have an expected value that they were going to hit on a certain year, and they've planned their life around making that much money. If you cut that in half, that's messing with people a lot, you know, regardless of whether they're going to be able to recuperate that amount over the over the next couple of years or not. Um, in the short term, that's going to mess with a lot of people in, in the things that they've been able to do in their lives and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, when we think about houses and cars and supporting family members and stuff like that. Don't fuck with folks' bags. Yeah. I mean, good. like, I talk a lot about, like, law of large numbers that normal people don't comprehend big numbers. But, I mean, obviously, Steph Curry going from 43 to 26, like, he'll be fine with 26 million more than fine. But, like, $17 million, like, that's a lot. That, that's a number that most people, like, you can't even picture $17 million. Yeah, it's generational money. Just it's like, I mean, we watch sports money. shows and they talk about, like, $300 million contracts, whatever, $500 million contracts. Like, we just throw these numbers out here without realizing what they really are, like, just what quantity that is. And, and that's just, I mean, that's just insane. But um, I'll, I'll finish up with this, and, and it's that I think with sports in, like, recent years, especially in the NBA, when you see kind of the growth of player empowerment, you know, we start treating these sports leagues a lot like kind of like a proxy of, like, uh, labor dynamics or economics or whatever you want to call it where we you know look at players like they're the labor and, and we're looking at them in contrast to the owners who seem to be extracting a lot of value for you know for, for what right like we kind of question that but at the same time now especially with COVID you, you see you know between the league and the owners and the players that they have to make more decisions about finances they have to make more decisions about you know like presentation about TV deals like all that sort of finances behind the scenes stuff more than ever and I mean, this schedule stuff is is just a part of it. And I think like this is all important. Is that owners though? Is that owners? I think that's more like people in the league office and shit. I mean, the owners will dictate how many games they want because again, if the owners didn't want to pay the players, they would be like, well, let, let's play a thirty game season. Right. But I, well, when we talk about like you know what who needs to be there behind the scenes for in order the thing to function, I don't think the owners are high up on that list. The owners just have money. But also, if the owners didn't want to pay the players because they're afraid of the finances during these times, because again, they're stingy owners, they might, you know, pressure Adam Silver to be like, "Let's play forty games, right? Let's let's shorten the season even more." And sure. and and the good thing is that they haven't done that, which is what I thought would actually happen. Um, but I don't know. Again, like all of these decisions between the owner, the league, the the players, I think it all means a lot in terms of you know when we really talk about what is player empowerment, what is, you know, power, like who has it, right? Who's going to express that power? Um, all of this stuff is, is, is all very vital. Yeah, it's, yeah, again, to me, it's quite an easy decision for the players. I'll, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Any last words? Anything else? Don't fuck with bags. Julio, <laughs> where where do I fall on, on your list of scary defenders? Sheesh. Last? Last, bro? I'm playing. Wow. I'm playing. Bro. I'm, I'm Release the, the tapes. Bro. Release the tapes. I released the tapes, man. I, I got it, bro. I got it. I, I, I saw it on Twitter. For those who don't know, go follow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know his at or whatever he's using. <laughs> Reagan uh, D. Griffin, man. Thank you for the plug. Appreciate that. But, uh, go, go follow him so you can uh, and then go to his media and then watch the video we'll have to make that a repeating thing man we out this saturday we out tomorrow uh soon maybe maybe next weekend or next week say less i get to put more plays on my mixtape moving forward (laughs) all right i think that'll do it for this episode of hoop and holler 
As always, follow at SQR1Hoops for all our hoop and holler content, as well as at Reagan D. Griffin, just repeat it, <laughs> and at, what is it, JT Martinez, double zero, is that what it is? Dang. Again, perfect memory. Um, happy Halloween, everyone. Hopefully, by the time we do our next episode, we have a different administration in the White House, and Damn. that'll do it for this episode <laughs> of gonna, Hoop and Holler. Just go drop that shit? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.